Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I'm once again your host, Tyler Metcalf. This week, we're venturing outside the No Ceilings family and bringing on a fast riser for a good reason in the draft world. You may know him as, or you may know him from his Bulls coverage or his new YouTube channel that's that has awesome content. He is the artist formerly known as MV Paw. He is Chip Jones. Chip, how are you? I'm great, Tyler. How about yourself? I'm stellar. I'm excited to have you on. You you and I have talked some NBA world uh, with the Bulls and Wolves over on Chuck and Darts podcast. Shout out to Chuck. Um, but this week I wanted to bring you on and talk a little more specifically about the NBA draft, uh, a world that you you are getting more involved in. And I've really enjoyed your coverage and kind of, you know, when, when I say I've enjoyed your takes, it sounds demeaning and like you're that they're not backed up in anything, but I really enjoy the way you think through through things and question things. Um, so for this week's topic, you and I came to an agreement on wanting to throw out our hottest takes that we kind of believe in, but not quite all the way there yet. So these are the, we, we know these are hot takes. We don't a hundred percent believe in them. Some we believe in a little more than others. So Chip, do you want me to start it off or do you want to get the ball rolling with your first one? Um, I'm, I'm done. To, I'm done to start it, start a little passive. So I'll let you go. All right. So for those of you who have been listening for, since this podcast started or have followed any of my writing these last couple of weeks, you know how high I am on Johnny Davis. So the first hot take that I'm not a hundred percent in on, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting there is that Johnny Davis is the best guard in this class. So that means he's better than Jaden Ivey. He's better than Hardy. He's better than Montero, Chandler, all those guys. Johnny Davis is the best guard in this class. Chip, how absurd is that? Uh, to talk me off the ledge. Should I be believing in this? Is there some validity to it? Where Where are you at with Johnny Davis? Um. Yeah, so I, I watched a couple Johnny Davis games. I'm going to be honest, the... I like to really like deep dive into specific players. So mm-hmm. like I'm a little slow getting to getting to everyone and the guards have like not seemed super interesting to me. So I'm like less versed in guards than I am in forwards and bigs in this class. Um, so I did, I've watched a bit of Jaden Ivy cause I feel like that's like the, that's like kind of become the consensus top guard. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I watched, I watched a bit of Johnny Davis. I can definitely see where you're coming from. I think, uh, I think it's an interesting take and I'm not sure how I feel on it because I think I'm still, uncertain about ivy and i'm very blind about the rest of the guards in the class so johnny davis seemed cool i enjoyed watching him he does good things yeah so where where i'm currently at with the two i i have them back to back um i'm extremely high on johnny davis i have johnny davis at five Jaden ivy still at four um and i i really think that it's going to come down to those two once we get to draft time or at least now at this point I, I definitely think it's those two in a runaway for the top two kind of combo guards, shooting guards, however you want to label them. I don't think either are either of them are really point guards. Um, but 
I, I think Ivy's absurd athleticism and explosiveness and pace and ability to finish at the rim. I know you've had some issues and questions about his at rim finishing that you've voiced on Twitter. Where, where do you stand with Ivy overall as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Ivy for me is um, just I, I did some dives into like teams that were like good at drafting historically and trying to mm-hmm. learn from like what they did. Um, and so like a couple of the teams were like uh, San Antonio and uh, Toronto were like two of the big ones that I was looking into. And, you know, I feel like there's kind of always been an adage, even if it's not as pronounced as, you know, other things that you can kind of just get guards later in the draft and you don't necessarily need to spring for guards early. And I kind of looked into it and generally like historically guards that are like not primary initiators. So they're not like the, they're not the player running the team. They're not point guard. Right. And they aren't like elite level shooters. Those guys have a really high rate of like not panning out in the NBA. Like, not that they're all bad, but just that like it, it's like a very volatile archetype, I guess, of sure. player in the like not great shooting shooting guard. Um, and so that that worries me a little bit with Ivy. And I, I also have concerns where he he doesn't really like using his left hand to finish. And I feel like if you're not going to be a great shooter and you're not going to be like great passer, finishing is going to be a lot of what you're doing. And if you are like really relying on finishing as like athleticism and finishing as like your offensive focal point, I would kind of like you to be able to finish with both hands. I'd kind of like you to be like very good at finishing, not like really good, you know? So it's a little scary just because like for me, the, the, the takeaway was like, in general, if you take like a guard top 20, that's like a shooting guard and they're not like a knockdown three point shooter, that's kind of spooky. Right. So then it gets weird. Cause it's like Jaden Ivy is like there. I can't imagine a world where someone unironically thinks Jaden Ivy is not one of the 20 most talented players in this class. But at the same time, if I'm not trying to take guards in the top 20, do you just put Jaden Ivy as like the eighth best player in the class, like 21st on your board? Cause you're like, Nope, not taking guards. You can't shoot top 20. And it, it feels a little weird. And I, honestly, I kind of watched like three or four games of Ivy's and I was like, you know what? I'm going to deal with this later. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's future use problem is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I kind of get where you're coming from, but I, I, I'm still a little higher on Ivy um, and not, not as high as some other people who I've seen have him as high as number one, which I think is aggressive. Um, he's, he might be the most fun player in college basketball to watch, but this take is also about Johnny Davis and I don't think Johnny Davis is that far behind him when, and something that you brought up with Ivy is the, the versatility in his finishing game. And I think Johnny Davis is leaps and bounds ahead of Ivy in that realm. Ivy's look a little better because he has that electric first step that really no one can compete with. And getting to that right hand is almost impossible to stop, at least on the college level with Davis. I think there's a lot more craft. There's a lot more creativity. There's a lot more touch with both hands on floaters. Is that something that you saw as well with Davis or, or or do you think it's, it's closer to Ivy? Yeah. I mean, I think to be honest, like when I watch Jaden Ivy, it's like, I feel like there's oftentimes an issue with like draft analysis where it's like, 
player A was put in a position to succeed and they succeeded. And then you're like, oh, well, player B wasn't put in a position to succeed. But if they were, they totally could have done it too. And then you end up like overthinking it and missing. And, you know, Ivy is getting the ball in motion a lot. And, you know, he's scoring a lot of these, you know, transition buckets. And in general, the team has like, it's not like optimal spacing, but they've got like some spacing out there. And they're bigs, you know, even if they're not three-point shooting spacing they have like you know vertical gravity and you can't necessarily fully help because then he's just gonna throw a lob to Zach Eady and you know so I mean the one thing that I looked at with Johnny Davis that I found really interesting was I feel like um when you look at his finishing numbers he's shooting uh 51 percent at the rim in the half court this season which is like not particularly great but at the same time um I was looking at his numbers last season compared to this season, right? And uh, the the four most common teammates he had on the court with him last season were shooting 37% from deep and attempting 39 threes per honor possessions. That's pretty good spacing. Mm-hmm. This season, his four most common teammates are shooting 29.7% from three and taking 29.5 threes, which is down 10 attempts and 8%. Uh, Wisconsin spacing, I think they ranked like 287th or something there in the 280s, I think, in the NCAA. So, I mean, I kind of feel like it's training with weights on. Like, every finish that Johnny Davis has is like through three defenders. And he's really Mm -hmm. slithery and ambidextrous, and he's able to do it. I will say one thing that I noticed that's like maybe not concerning per se, or is just like kind of something interesting I picked up on is he like doesn't use inside hand finishes like at all. I don't know if that's going to be a problem long-term. It's just something I noticed. And like generally when I'm looking for someone to be elite at something, I'll look for versatility. So it's something that like long-term I'm going to have to look into, but it is something I noticed that was like a little weird. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like even though he doesn't use that inside hand, I, I do feel like his comfortability with both hands going both directions, finishing on either side of the glass, using the rim to protect it. It's, it's way more, comfortable and at least consistent than what we've seen from some of the other guards in this class when it comes to shooting i absolutely love his mid-range game i know that's frowned upon and not sexy anymore um and i'm not (laughs) old man get off my yard or you know bit here but yeah i I think it's a really good precursor to the type of scoring game and three level scoring that he could have going forward the counter to that is that we're not seeing enough from him from outside (laughs) And so where are you at with this three point jumper? I like the mechanics. I, you know, I think he's reliable off the cat, but we've seen very little kind of off the ball space creation from the perimeter. I feel like I've been, I've been targeted and baited onto your show just so you could have <laughs> this, uh, have this mid range take and bring the bulls fat on and be like, your team's <laughs> led by Zach Levine and DeMar DeRose and you can't talk bad about the mid range game. Um, no, I mean, I think, one thing that really stood out to me with Johnny Davis is like his offensive footwork is like great. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's really, really polished. The one, the one thing I noticed with this three point shooting that I think is kind of holding him back is um, when he, he does not like shooting on the catch um, and his percentage on the catch are worse than on off the dribble. And um, I think like watching his shots on the catch, he doesn't, he's not very good yet or consistent about like setting his feet ready when he's about to catch, like he'll catch and then have to set his feet, which is leading to like, like he's getting maybe open looks that are like slightly contested because of that, or it kind of like throws off his rhythm. I feel like um, because his feet aren't set a lot of the time, he has to like reposition his feet 
and he kind of loses the momentum that the ball, like when it comes in in the past, you know, and you catch and you kind of transfer that energy. He's not really getting that because he's having to like reset his feet. So I think that's one thing. And something like that, I think is maybe a bit easier to fix, which can be a good thing, right? Because it's like, oh, you just like fix that. And all of a sudden he's shooting 38% in the NBA. And everyone's like, oh my God, I didn't know he could shoot like this. And I mean, he's got good free throw percentages. He's shooting well on the dribble. Uh, he shot 38.9% from three last season, which is down to 34% this year, which I mean, again, the contextual spacing is not good this year and his volume had mm-hmm. to go up a bunch. And he's also like, this isn't hundred percent relevant, but I mean, he's a, he's a super active, like pretty solid off ball defender. So he's like yeah. putting in, like he's like the primary option plus high volume. Plus he's putting an effort on defense. Like that's a big workload. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought up, well, there are two things there that I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned is one hit how much he actually defends and the level that he defends at and then his footwork. And I, I think those kind of go hand in hand with each other because offensively, I do love his footwork. Defensively, I love his work rate. I'm really not in love with his defensive footwork, at least on ball. I feel like he, he crosses his feet a ton. He turns his hips to turn and chase a lot. And I think that's really going to get him in trouble in the NBA but he's getting away with it a lot right now because that work rate is so high on and off ball. And I think he's really good at screen navigation. So, you know, it, it, as someone who's a huge fan and proponent of quality footwork is kind of the basis for quality defense. It's tough for me to label him as a good defender, but when you see his instincts, his work rate, his screen navigation, it's it, it encourages me more than it would for someone if he just had that sloppy footwork and kind of went through the motions on defense. So for sure, def- defensively, where are you at with him? Um, so I, I liked a lot of the things you brought up there. I think the the footwork thing is like big because I noticed. Um, I think because of the the like the the footwork being a little off, um, he's kind of like I think he's kind of like a fake good perimeter defender. Like when players drive into him, he does a really good job of like sticking with drivers and like contesting yeah. and, you know, getting a bunch of steals and blocks His event creation numbers are really good for a guard of his size and with his offensive workload. But when he's on the perimeter, he leaves guys like a lot of space. And I think it's kind yeah. of to compensate for that, like turning speed and like, which, I mean, he's a, like a pretty solid athlete. I don't think mm-hmm. like there's athletic issues. It's like technique issues. Yeah. And I think like you mentioned with the screen navigation, he is does this really good thing where he'll always wrap his hand around the screener like a screener will come to his side and he will wrap his hand around their waist and that kind of helps him propel himself around screens which helps him a lot and he's also really good at the the kind of like matisse thibel-esque like if someone goes around a screen and he's chasing a step behind he's like really liable to like block them from behind or poke the ball out randomly mm-hmm. He's really good at those things. But I, I will say with this, like with his perimeter defense, especially when it comes to the screen navigation, a lot of the times he'll like navigate the screen quickly, but because he's not marrying himself to the ball handler and he's sitting so far back, he has to like take a step up and then around the screen. And that kind of, you know, holds that back. But I mean, he is, I think a pretty, he's a pretty intelligent defender. And also his hands are like super active, like all the time he's getting, his, he's got like good ball tracking, hand-eye coordination, getting his hand on the ball all the time. Yeah, so I, I, I'm I'm still not bold enough, I guess, to, to to put Davis over Ivy as that that number one guard, but I'm really damn close, and it, it'll be interesting to see how how Davis really kind of continues through Big Ten play, especially since he everyone knows that he's the focal point of that offense, and as you pointed out earlier, he's really kind of the only one who is a shooting threat. So 
Chip, what, what what is your first hot take that you kind of believe in, but not a hundred percent yet? I'm gonna start it off a little easy here. I'm not gonna. We're gonna get deeper as we go. <laughs> Good tease. So my first my first one is gonna be about the bigs because I've got a qualm with the with the the state of the bigs in this class. I feel like it's kind of. I don't know if you get the same impression. I'd like to know what you think on this. People think this is a weak big class, right? Mm. Like in general, I feel like people say it's not that great. Um, Interesting. Maybe that's maybe that's changed. Maybe it's you know my own personal lens is missing out. But I feel like I've heard people say this isn't like a super strong big class. So I did I did a little diving because I was like I don't think that at all. I think this is a really good big class actually. So um, I went for I went to look at like previous draft classes. So here are my here are my qualifications to find how many good bigs every draft class has had. Right. So I started with 2016 because my first qualification was they need to they need to stick for six years. If they play in the NBA yep. for six years, that's like you relatively were yeah, like okay, you were at least career. a role player. Yeah. Yeah. And then you need to have played 50% or more of your minutes at center, according to basketballreference.com as a way to filter power forwards versus centers. Yep. Um, so between 2016, 2009, so eight years or eight drafts, I guess, um, it was an average of 5.75 centers per draft class. So it's nice because it's in between the middle. So like five would be under below average and six would be over above average. Sure. So my thing is, I think I would be very surprised if there were less than six successful bigs from this class, which would, if it hits six, then it's above average, according to my very official offhand quick metric, right? So for me, I've got, I've got four guys here that I'm, I'm confident in. And then I've got a, a bunch of guys that I think could, and we only need two of them. So I'd, I'd love, I'd love your take. So who are your, who are your bigs? I'm counting Chet as a big, just as a precursor. Yeah. Agreed. So do you have, do you have any bigs that you're like, I'm hundred percent sure this guy's at the very least a six year role player in the NBA? Um, yeah. So I, mean, I would go Chet. I would go Duran. Um, I'd probably go Mark Williams. I think Walker Kessler is in that kind of conversation now. Uh, Christian Coloco, I think is kind of, is playing himself into that. I would say, um, uh, wow. I'm completely blanking on his name. Uh, the guy from Purdue, um, Zach Eady, Travion, Travion. Thank you. Good. Travion Williams. Yep. Yes. Travion Williams. Um, I, I, I think he's in there because I, I think his passing alone gives him yeah, at least someone of a sure. role in a rotation. And then I'm hearing a ton of really good stuff about, uh, Kamigetti. Sorry for the pronunciation. Um, so yeah, I, wh- where are you at? So I had I had four guys that I was extremely confident in. And okay. um, two of mine were the... I was a little afraid because you listed a lot of names that were not on my <laughs> list to start. And I was like, uh-oh. Fascinating. I do have Chet and Jalen Duren. Just to clarify those, I think were the first two you listed. <laughs> I do have those two. I think those guys are going to be maybe good players. Um, so my, my other two that I'm confident on, I, I'm like, I'll book it. Send it. Travion Williams from Purdue. Uh-huh. He's my he's my fourth. And then one guy who I think I'm starting to become like way above consensus on is Ismail Kamigate. Okay. I love Kamigate. This guy's this guy's I'm big, I'm a big fan of like high field players, like in general. Okay. And he's just like mobile enough to play. He, he's big, he gets a lot of blocks. He's playing in a professional league. He's in the French top league playing for Paris. Um, he's doing really well there. I mean, I think he's averaging like 11 and seven and a block and a half shooting like 60%. Um, I think he's competent. He's getting close to being competent enough to like make 
dribble handoff decisions that aren't like extremely basic, just going to give this to the ball handler. And at the same time, he's, I think he's a really smart defender and he's not, I don't think he's like an, an unreal athlete, but he's a good athlete. And he's like a very functional athlete for like a rim runner. Like he's got like a slow, like a quick load time. So like he can just kind of pop up there and grab something and he's got good hands, good catch radius. So, I mean, I think just as like a rim runner and a rim protector and he's pretty mobile. He's like okay. maybe like 6'11", I think, but he's mobile. So, I mean, he's like a guy you can switch and he's pretty smart. I don't think you want him like guarding the perimeter like that, like that. Right. But I mean, he's like, he can stay in front of a guy and it's not going to be like, oh no. Um, so I have those four, like Travion, okay. the passing, like, I just think like the, the intelligence that he has yeah. and like, he's going to be at least a role player. Uh, Chet Jalender and coming out. So then my maybes I have, um, Coloco, uh, Zach Eadie, maybe, uh, from Purdue. He's like seven, four, that might be enough. Um, Walker Kessler, who is pretty polarizing. I think a lot of people don't really like him. I kind of get why, but I also yeah. think he's probably pretty solid. And he's had the last two games for Auburn. He was really good. The SLU game and the LSU game. He was really yeah. good in those two. So, I mean, he's on a heater recently. Uh, Mark Williams, I am way lower on than most people. Okay. I do not like Mark Williams. <laughs> I, I think like a lot of Mark Williams case was built on this like big Gonzaga, like, mm-hmm. oh, he obliterated Chet. And I'm going to be honest, I was working on a Chet piece during that. I watched like every minute of Chet for like his first 11 games of the season. And one of those was the Duke game. And I'm going to be honest. I do not get where people got this idea that Mark Williams like obliterated Chet. Chet like got like four buckets on him where he just like bumped him and then did a fadeaway like mid range like four yeah, times. So I, and Mark Williams couldn't bother him at all. Yeah, and I, so I agree with you that. But it, so on one side, I I think Mark Williams was probably the best player on the court that night. On the other hand, the the stuff that the hate that Chet got after that game was so overblown because all people saw was Paulo put his shoulder through him for an and one finish one time. And they yeah. immediately wrote him off. It was like, Oh, Paulo's number one. Chet sucks. Look at the skinny white dude. He's, he's awful. So I, I, I get, I get where you're coming from. Um, But so your whole, so are you saying that this center class has a lot of talent at the very top or that it's just deep and there's a lot of quality throughout it's deep and there's a lot of quality so just to really okay. really quickly just run through yeah. the names yeah, yeah. also that i had i had uh coloco from arizona i think he's solid i mean he's close mm-hmm. to being like a for sure for me walker kessler's are like pretty solid i think mark williams zach Eady, uh colin castleton in florida i think he's doing really well florida's going yeah. kind of under the radar but he's he's doing pretty well for them yannick and zoza coming into the season was super high uh, people are a lot lower on him now, but I mean, I still think with like the physical tools and what he shows, like there's definitely a chance there. And then I really like what Marcus Bingham's done in Michigan state. Uh, I think he's mm-hmm. gone a little bit under the radar and then Orlando Robinson. Have you, uh, have you, are you familiar with Mr. Orlando Robinson? I, I, Fresno I'm, state not, Center? I'm not. Okay. Me. Uh, so I bring you I, on. he, he's like three years in, okay. um, he's a junior playing for Fresno state. Um, so he was always kind of like, putting up like decent numbers, but nothing great. And he was kind of like a, he can kind of pass. He can maybe kind of shoot like versatile, but not really there yet. And then this year he's kind of just put it together and his numbers are kind of just like off the charts. And it's like, at some point you do enough where it's like, okay, these numbers are just too good. So right now, Orlando Robinson, he's seven foot two thirty five, 
He is averaging 19 points, eight rebounds, two and a half assists, uh, a steal and a block and a half a game while shooting um, 57% on twos, 34% on threes at three attempts a game and 81% from the free throw line. So, I mean, I I haven't watched a ton of his, but I know the stat profile is insane and he seems to be a pretty competent passer and he's like a good defender and he uses his hands well and he can kind of shoot. And I feel like that's like a really good base at seven foot to get into the NBA, even if you're not in the biggest conference. And then obviously, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've heard, I don't know. I don't know why I said, obviously the new kind of like trendy one. Are you, are you, have you gotten eyes on John Butler, Florida state yet? Yes. Um, is, is he the really skinny one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm pretty intrigued by him. I don't think he's he's a freshman right now, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think he's a one and done guy. I think he needs to add a little muscle and show that he can play with some sense of physicality because the few games of theirs that I have seen, he's gotten completely taken out um, just on a physicality standpoint. But I, I'm very intrigued. I, I love the length, obviously. The the outside shot I thought looked pretty solid. Um, I, I'm intrigued by his rim protection. So for like... A, a sophomore junior year kind of leap. It wouldn't surprise me at all. If, if if we see him, if we see that from him in like a year or two. Yeah. So, so my thing is, I think the class is kind of deep at center and I, sure. I would be pretty surprised if there are not six guys who stuck around as at least role players for six years. Okay. So there, there is a lot there. Um, I let, let, let's start, start at the top and work our way down. I'm so for most people, myself included, uh, Chet and Duran are my top two centers. I have a pretty massive gap between those two. Um, I, I'm one of these sickos that still has Chet at number one because I think what he could Same. be is oh wonderful. Um, what he could be is could be is just so special and just the way he feels the game on both ends of the floor and his rim protection, his ability to stay vertical, uh, locate the ball and then swipe down and just not foul is i think just really special um duran i every time i watch him i become less and less intrigued and i i I want i really want to pick your brain with him because is is smart and as high of feel that chet has i feel like duran is almost the exact opposite of that and gets by almost exclusively on his athleticism and physicality, which to be fair are absolutely insane. And I, I, I constantly have to keep reminding myself that he should be a senior in high school, that he is young and all this stuff, but and his motor goes in and out his, I I'm just really underwhelmed the way he, he reads and kind of operates throughout a game. Where, where are you at with Duran? So the first thing I think is important with Duran just is like, make sure we're on the same page he's in a really shitty situation yeah yeah if you had a point bad. guard it'd be i i know everyone's saying that but a point guard in that yeah. situation and on that team would make worlds a difference yeah like it's bad and for the first like 10 games they were just trying to like helio centrically play through Amoni baits in a sense Which is and awful. it was terrible yeah. Um, so, I mean, only in the in the last few games have they kind of opened up more. But his his uh, you, I think he's starting to show a lot more. So I actually haven't watched a ton of the post um, Helio Amoni uh, mm-hmm. games. I watched the the previous ones, and I was always I was actually really confused. I'm gonna be honest. Watching Jalen Duran, like 
I watched him and he did like a lot of like nice things. And when you look at like bigs and like the the feel and passing they need to show mm-hmm. to like have these flashes, like if you look at historically, like guys like Bam, Cat, Al Horford, stuff like that, they are averaging like two assists to like two and a half turnovers at best. Like they don't really usually, I mean, Chet and Evan Mobley are kind of outliers, but usually when you're looking at a big, who's like going to be competent with the ball, the numbers don't look that impressive in college and watching Jalen Duren play. I think that at times there are like flashes of really good stuff. And I feel like when he, when he feels confident, like especially in the Western Kentucky game, which is like the one game where he really kind of dominated, um, he felt really confident and he made some reads like in transition. He had a kick out to the corner. Um, he had one where I think there was like some short roll. He got the ball and there was a trailer or something. And he made some drop pass to a, another big and it was really nice. And he had one um, against Virginia Tech. I think it was that they played in that one tournament. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it was Virginia Tech and they lost. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, yeah. He had one where he was supposed to run a DHO. And um, he brought the ball up for the DHO and it was like, definitely like he was supposed to do it. And he kind of just saw some window and he like faked the DHO and just cut and got a wide open layup at the basket. And I thought that was really good. And I think like, I think Dern kind of gets locked as like low feel and maybe like slow processing speed. But I think part Mm -hmm. of it is there's just not really reads to make like the offense is just bad. And in situations where there have been reads to make, he makes them. Like, I, I think when you look at, like, an entire game of Durin's and you just, like, he makes zero reads and you're like, wow, that was terrible. And then if you go back and look at it and look at the possessions and, like, actually try and think, like, okay, what did I want him to do here? There's mm-hmm. not really anything for him to do. So, yeah. Yeah. No, so I, I think that's that's fair. And in his last couple games, some of that, passing out of the short roll has definitely looked better and it's been a little more decisive and he's been a little bit more confident in that, which, you know, as we progress through a season, those are the steps that you want to see these guys making. Um, And for him to really make an impact offensively, besides just being an absurd offensive rebounder or vertical spacer, I think that passing is really where it's going to have to come from because I don't really trust the shot. He's kind of clumsy trying to create his own shot. Um, He hasn't handled like double teams well at all. Um, And I'm pretty underwhelmed by his hands, unless he's expecting the lob or getting a rebound or something um, where he always just kind of seems not ready for it. Uh, Defensively though, I've been again, kind of just underwhelmed where when he's brought out into space and, forced to make decisions between screens and DHOs and that kind of stuff. He kind of seems to, if it's like a 50, 50 choice, it's almost like he's choosing wrong 75% of the time. Again, I think a lot of that is youth and just, you just need those reps. You need that experience. You need to see different things because the athletic tools to be that versatile defender are there when he's in the lane and the restricted area, I love his defense, his weak side rotations and all that stuff. It's just when he gets dragged out to the perimeter, that's really when we see his rawness and his youth kind of take over. Yeah, I definitely see that. And I think in general, 
I think I guess I, I kind of just lean on the more optimistic side that like there are possessions where he does do these things correctly. And I think like in Memphis, he's just like it's been a bad situation kind of on both ends a lot of the time. And um, just generally with how the Memphis defensive system works, they're like extremely aggressive with on ball pressure with their guards. And that like kind of throws this off where people like I think a lot of the times on these like DHOs and pick and rolls like their guards will play really aggressively and then Mm -hmm. maybe sometimes they'll gamble and then they kind of just put him in a position where it's like he has these impossible choices to make because you know their guard is just gambled and is completely out of position now and so that I think I kind of like the flashes I I think I, I combine the like I'm I'm optimistic about the flashes. Plus I kind of expect less flashes from bigs just because they don't usually show it as much, especially at like a young age. Plus he's super young for the class. Plus I think his situation on both ends of the court is just really bad. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I, I, I'm really excited to see him out of Memphis um, because yeah. I think he could be really just one of these massive lottery ticket, lottery ticket type of prospects yeah. where in the right developmental system surround it with a point guard having a, at least a shooter um, playing with him. I think he could look completely different uh, for the sake of time. Cause shocker, we're running long on these guys because they're fascinating. And I'm going to have to have you back to really dive into them again. Yeah. My next group of five on these guys are Mark Williams, Walker Kessler, Christian Coloco, Travion Williams, and Kamigade. I know I'm assuming Kamigate is your guy out of those five. Yeah. So if we were drafting today, where, where would you feel comfortable taking him and why, what separates him so much that from the rest of that group for you? Um, I think for me, like I look at it as like one, I think the thing with centers, that's kind of like a nice litmus litmus test is uh, Charlotte, right? Charlotte's like mm-hmm. super center needy and they might be picking in that kind of just outside of the lottery range. So it's kind of like, what if I were Charlotte, would I be willing to take one of these guys? And I think with Ismail Kamigate, the answer is actually kind of yes. Like, I wouldn't hate taking Ismail Kamigate at like 15 or 16, like just outside of the lotto. So I I, I really like him. I think he's just, not only is he like safe, but he's also like, I think he's pretty switchable. And I think when you come to the playoffs, you like, you get these bigs sometimes that are like talented, but they just can't really switch. And if they can't really switch, then like in the playoffs, that makes scheming a little bit harder on the team. And I think Kamigate is just someone who I'm confident is going to make good decisions. And I'm confident can kind of do some switching stuff. And I just generally like, you know, his rim running stuff. And I, I like some of the decisions he makes as like, he doesn't really get a lot of opportunities as like a short roll guy, but in the few that I've seen, he makes pretty good decisions. So it's kind of just, I think he's like a smart center who's going to be switchable. And I think he's a pretty good rebounder and I think he's going to make good decisions. And I think he's a really smart rim protector. Okay. Well, w- w- once, once I do the deep dive on him, I'm, I'm going to have to have you on, or at least just bombard you with messages on uh, offline of and, and really go at it with you because i love all the french guys this year (laughs) (laughs) that again another another teaser so i I, i'm gonna move on to my second kind of hot take that i'm not 100 percent in on because his advanced numbers and his stats and all that stuff are 
absolutely ridiculous this year, but I'm not sure that Keegan Murray is a top 25 prospect in this class. Where, where are you at with Murray? So Keegan Murray is one that I, I have a soft read on. So it's like, I'm at the stage where I have more questions than answers just because I haven't seen mm-hmm. a ton, okay. but the, the one, the one thing that jumps out to me, that's really weird. And it's the same thing I kind of had with Jabari was like, just watching him move. His movements are like pretty irregular. Like they, they, he's definitely not a super normal player. He's very athletic, but like when he's shooting and stuff, it feels like he's just always moving. Like, I don't know if there's balance issues or something, but he kind of just feels like he's always moving in some direction. Like he's never fully like still. And it's weird. Like when he's taking these like pull-ups, he's just moving in a direction. And sometimes it's not even the direction he was moving before he takes this like mid-range pull-up. And he's just like, he's just like driving to the baseline. And then all of a sudden he takes the pull-up and he's like moving towards the basket. And it's like, I don't know why you're making this harder and I'm just really confused with his movement. And then I think he's maybe not so overwhelmingly good that he's going to get a bunch of like a team's going to pick him and give him a bunch of reps and like where he thrives at Iowa and like post-ups and stuff. I don't know if he's going to get a bunch of touches like that. And then I, like, I think the two things they gave you on the floor are like passing and shooting. And I'm not really sure he does either of those particularly well. Yeah. I mean, the, so I, I feel like early in the season, he really boosted all of his advanced numbers playing against some just really lackluster competition. And when he plays against even like bench units against better teams, he looks he looks awesome because he's, you know, a Big Ten power forward going against lesser competition. When he actually faces some athleticism, especially like smaller, quicker defenders who can kind of get under him, he really struggles and just the the way he tries to create his own shot feels awkward it feels clunky it doesn't feel natural the shooting is okay i guess i i just i struggle to really buy in on it um and then you, you mentioned his athleticism and i think when he attacks the rim and his like vertical pop i do think that's when he can really show off his athleticism but i don't see any of that laterally as especially on defense and on the perimeter i i don't think he communicates well on or off ball defensively. And I'm just not sure how that kind of lack of lateral quickness, that lack of space creation, that lack of really confident, just pure jumper, how that all translates. And I get kind of like a lot of like Nick Batum vibes from him, but I'm not sure which version of Nick Batum it's going to be, whether it's Charlotte Nick Batum, who is a dumpster fire, or Portland Nick Batum, who was, you know, a fringe all-star, or this Clippers Nick Batum, who is kind of a small ball 4-5, who just really excels in his role doing the dirty work. I, I, he's just a prospect that I know a lot of people were super high on at the start of the year because his advanced numbers were so outlandish, but... I feel like, especially once we get into Big Ten play and we see these more athletic defenders go on him, I think he's just really going to struggle. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of already showing, right, where we've started getting some tougher competition and in those games he's really struggled, especially I think the Iowa State game, he had a really, really rough time in that one. And it was the best team he's played all season, I think. Uh, maybe Illinois, I think, but, you know. Um, I, I, I think for me, I, I definitely need to get more like into him so i don't want to give some like outlandish take of like he isn't good i've seen right. two not, games not, also not what i'm saying yeah 
Um, it's just like for me, I feel like he's one that I need to I need to really feel like I have a deep understanding of to be able to project mm-hmm. because he doesn't do the like the 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 easy things that get you minutes in the NBA, which are like shooting and passing. Like if you just connect the if you're a connective passer and you can shoot, like NBA teams are just gonna put you on the court. And those aren't the things he does. He does like everything else. And the movement's kind of weird for me and I have questions about it. And it it's just I feel like oftentimes watching him like when it goes in, it's like, okay, cool, that went in. And then when it doesn't go in, you think about the process more and it's like, wow, mm-hmm. that was really kind of unsettling to look at. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really important point where, especially with these college guys, where I, I like to focus more on the process than result where, you know, if, like when we look at Bryce McGowan's or Max Christie, the result hasn't been good for their shooting, but I've really enjoyed their process and how they've gone there and the mechanics behind it. And Murray's almost the inverse of that. So I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent there. I still have Murray at like 20 or 21, but it, he's kind of rapidly falling for me. And I, I'm, I'm kind of getting closer that he may not be a top 25 prospect come draft time. But what, what is your next kind of hot take that you're not a hundred, hundred percent in on yet? So I actually think you made a great point. So I think I can sell you on a prospect here. Well, you what? said you care more about the process and not the outcome. <laughs> Are you familiar with French forward Usman Jiang, who's currently lighting up the Australian NBL for about four points a game on like 18% shooting? Because boy, the results are not there. Not, not at all. So I, I, I do prefer process over result, but at some yep. point I need some result. <laughs> I need some. Okay. So my my hot take here, just to just to get on the get on the page first, is that I think that. Usman Jang's stock is going to rise to like late lotto status, which is kind of where he was coming into the year. Um, and I think that his stock should be pretty much completely dependent on the second half of the season. Not entirely, but almost. So let me, let me explain here. So to start, Usman had some critics because he was not particularly efficient when he was in France. Um, and that that's fair. He shot like 83% from the free throw line which is, you know, good indicator. Um, he did shoot like 38% from the field and like 33% from three, which isn't great. Um, I will say, so he was playing on a French academy team that plays in a men's league, the third division in France. So I went back and looked at the sets. So while Usman was there, they went three and 50. But since like 2012, they're like 12 and 400. So their win percentage was actually higher when he was there and they went three and 50. So I think that's important to keep in mind. That's, that's um, an argument. Yep. Um, <laughs> so then over the summer, he fractured his foot. So he could not participate in the uh, U19 World Cup with France, which is unfortunate. He didn't get a chance to show off his talents there. Then he moved to Australia to play in the next star program, place in New Zealand Breakers in the NBL. Uh, does not speak English. So he's, he's in Australia, doesn't speak English. Not great for an 18-year-old kid. Um, then, because of COVID-19 and his team being from New Zealand and not Australia, they can't travel between the countries. So they're doing the Stanford thing where they're playing exclusively road games and they aren't like at home. So the entire first half of the season is exclusively road games in a country he doesn't speak the language of. Then, coming into the season... Um, right before their final preseason team, team had a massive COVID outbreak. Like the entire team and their coach had COVID. Their coach like nearly died 
Um, like they were not sure he was going to make it. So not a great way to ring in the season. That's tough. Um, yeah. In addition to this, their best player is injured for the first 10 games of the season. And in addition to that, their second best player, Peyton Siva, their point guard, got a muscle injury in their second game and is going to be out for like eight weeks. My point being, I feel like the circumstance he's been in in the past 20-ish months hasn't been optimal. And I think that maybe with a bit more improved context, you know, he gets he's, he's learning English. There was an advertisement for some Christmas thing where he said a couple words in English. Um, so he knows a little bit. And at the same time, they're going to play some home games. He's going to be in his native New Zealand, um, which, you know, that's going to help him out a lot. So I think, I think the second half of the season is going to show improved results and he'll do more than score four points a game on 18% shooting. And that that will probably help put his stock back. Because just to clarify, I've said some things that may not seem super positive about young Usman. Just to clarify, this guy is 6'9 with like a 7'1 wingspan. And he's an extremely fluid ball handler. So this is like a jumbo initiator. And I think yeah, every so, year, you go, sorry. Yeah, no. So the, there is a lot there that is why things are going wrong and why they may not look Correct. And, and I think that's important to point out. I, I did that a lot with Zaire Williams because I thought yep. his situation at Stanford was about as bad as it could possibly be. Um, apparently, Dang is rivalry that. And um, but based on solely the Encore product, I'm 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 concerned. I, I and it's not just because of looking at the numbers. The no, if you just look at the numbers, you'll be like, get this guy off my draft board. He's trash. He's awful. And I don't think that's fair. I think that's reactionary and simplistic. But as a defender, I it, it, it's a, it, it, no, sorry. It almost feels like he hasn't been taught how to play defense. Where off ball, he's getting back cut all the time. He's ball watching a lot. Um, he doesn't seem to communicate a whole lot. Part of that may come down to the language barrier. But again, you know, that won't help. There'll be similar issues. Uh, coming overseas or over here, but you know we see foreign players succeed here all the time. So that that's not what I'm saying. As an on-ball defender, I think the length and kind of the fluidity of his movements bails him out a lot. I really kind of similar to Johnny Davis, where I think his footwork is kind of a mess and he turns his hips a lot. He also just seems really weak, and that weakness really affects him as or that lack of strength, not weakness, that lack of strength really limits his ability to finish at the rim. I think he started to counter that a little bit with, I was pretty impressed with his floater. I thought it looked pretty decent and the touch he has on that. I think all of his passing reads are really predetermined where once he drives, he's already made up his mind that he's kicking it to that opposite corner, regardless of how far that weak side defender is helping on or off uh, the roller. Um, but I, I like the willingness and some of those skip passes still do look really nice and they are effective and the accuracy is good. So I think that's encouraging. Where are you at with the shot? Because I, I think that lack of strength kind of is really yeah. affecting that too, because I see him similar to Zaire Williams last year. I see Dang kind of falling out of his shot a lot. I don't think he really stabilizes himself as he, you know, gets into his elevation. So do do you think just simply getting stronger will help that? 
Yeah, I, I do. And that's kind of the thing. I think uh, Chuck does a really good job with, he talks about strength a lot and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, players aren't going to like, yeah, they'll get stronger, but everyone else is going to get stronger and they're not going to get necessarily stronger relative to their competition. But I think the difference with Zhang is it's like, he doesn't need to be stronger than anyone else, like everyone else. No one's asking for that. We're just sure. asking that he's strong enough to get the ball to the basket, which yes, is like yes. kind of irrelevant of everyone else. And he currently is questionably able to do that. Um, the one thing I'll say is like the free throw percentage is good and the willingness mm-hmm. to shoot is good. Like the indicators of attempt rate and free throw percentage are good. And the form, if you're familiar with Kessler Edwards, it looks quite similar to that, which oh, okay. isn't yeah, yeah, necessarily yeah. the most aesthetically pleasing <laughs> shot. Um, but at the same time, I think sometimes the form is pretty good. I think the energy transfer has some issues. I think the strength has some issues. But he, okay, here's the thing with Usman Jang. He's going to average like seven points on like 30% shooting. But you have to keep in mind that four out of every five games, he's going to score two points on one of eight shooting. But that one game that isn't the other four out of five is so good because the other ones are so bad. But it's like, so in like, in the preseason, he had a game where he had 18 points, eight rebounds, three assists against one of the best teams in the NBL who are actually playing their starters. And they, the the craziest part is they played this team in their final preseason game before they had the COVID outbreak. And then they played them in the first game of the season, right? And this team had changed their game plan to counteract what Jang was doing in the first game. So uh, the breakers get him off Chicago action where he comes out of the corner, pinned down into a dribble handoff and gets downhill. And, you know, he was making passing reads and he was getting the basket and he was finishing. That's how he got his 18 points against them in the first time. So in the second game, they decided to just blitz him off these like dribble handoffs. They would just blitz him and he beat them with the pass. So he had like four or five passing reads where he just, he was manipulating defenders, like looking them off, like one where they blitzed him and he was able to, like he has like super long arms and he whipped the pass around the, the big man, I think. And then he had one where they went to blitz him and the the guard, the person who's guarding him originally went like under the screen to like, cause the other guy was kind of like hard hedging, I suppose. Right. And then because that guy committed under the screen, he like easily like shifted directions and had some bounce pass into the roller. Then they like were reading, they like helped off the corner that he was going to go to the roller. So he like looked, he like locked in on the roller and then fired a pass to the corner, like manipulating defenders. So, I mean, he makes like, he makes great reads and he's a super fluid ball handler and there are positive indicators of the shot. And he does have games where he plays really well. Like he had a lot of games in France where he would put up like 20 points on like eight of 11 shooting or something. It's just, there's a lot of games that are two points on one of eight shooting that weigh that down. But at the same time, when you're looking at a guy that's six, nine and can make advanced pick and roll reads and is a fluid ball handler, and he's got good balance outside of the strength things. Like when he's closer to the basket, the balance is really good and the body control is good. And I think, um, one thing that's big with him that I think I, I've started to notice is you talked about the predetermined decisions. I think it can often come off like that, but actually he's just horrific at beating the second level defenders, like just really bad, just has no clue. Okay. So it's like, I think that's kind of better because two things, one, I think that can be improved a little bit easier than just being predetermined at everything. And two, he's yeah. been playing his entire life with FIBA rules. So they can just sit a guy in the paint. So like every time he goes to the rim, sure. there's just a dude sitting there. But in the NBA, they can't do that. 
So he's not going to have that anymore. And I think that's maybe kind of exacerbating his issues with reading second level defenders because there's just there. Every team is playing a zone with Zhao Qi, who's like seven two, just sitting in the paint at the basket, meeting him. And that's maybe being a little bit exacerbated And in the NBA. It won't be like that, hopefully kind of right. Cause they don't have FIBA rules. So I think that could be a benefit. And also one thing I've heard is like, um, you know, he has this bad context with his current team and he has bad context with this past team, but like in the international competitions, he didn't really blow, you know, the doors off or anything. But again, he had some games where it wasn't particularly good, but like in the 2019 FIBA U16 European championship uh, with France, in the semifinal game, he had 17 points, five assists, zero turnovers on like 40, 50, 40, 100 shooting and was a team high plus 31. So he has these good games and the potential is like obvious with like a six, nine primary initiator, right? It's just about getting there. And I think, you know, every year you get guys like Zaire who, I mean, Zaire doesn't really count, but like Josh Primo, where they're like super raw and the numbers don't really match up. And I think teams like taking a chance on guys like that and they think they can fix them. And I think a team's going to think that with Usman and they might be right. Yeah. So I, I, that last point, I kind of agree with you on where based on his measurables and the flashes and all of this, Oh, but what could he be? I, it wouldn't shock me if we see him jump back into that late lotto conversation, given you know, if he does start showing these flashes because of because that that type of player is what all these teams constantly are searching for. My only concern is that he's going to be a lot more raw than they would have hoped that he's, you know, maybe maybe calling him a lottery talent this year would be misleading, whereas like if he came out into the draft the following year it'd be like oh yeah obviously but with the draft it's always a long-term kind of process and projection and that's what the whole kind of basis is for it if you're doing it on a short-term one-year basis you're either probably a contending for a title or b doing it wrong so speaking of long-term projections um i'm gonna pivot into my final hot take and this is the one i believe in the least I think it's also might be the hottest um, that Musa Diabate is the best long-term NBA prospect on this Michigan team. When I say that, it sounds like I hate Caleb Houston. I don't. I really like Caleb Houston. I still have him as a lottery guy. I think he still has a lot to show. But what Diabate has continued to do, I just continue to be impressed with. Um, he's really raw, kind of similar to Diang. well probably even a little more raw but a little more gifted athletically and with his strength and physicality and all that kind of stuff um i love his length he is one of the hardest playing players in the country i think i think his motor is insane i really like his interiors scoring um that rawness really shows itself on the defensive end but again he kind of makes up for it with that motor the shot is the biggest question mark with him because in the mid-range from like 15-ish feet 15 to 17 feet he's shown a little bit um but from outside he doesn't even look at the basket really um so yeah long term long 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 term um Musa Diabate best NBA prospect on this Michigan team how how absurd is that 
So, like I told you coming to this one, I genuinely know nothing, but I do have two questions that I've come up with. Yes. My first one, what percentage of this take is liking Diabate and how much is disliking Houston? Because I know Caleb Houston's at a slower <laughs> start. You kind of addressed this, but can I get a can I get a percentage on this? Like, are you do you think you're lower than consensus on Houston and higher on Diabate, or is it like way higher on Diabate and same on Houston or no, so I, I think I'm still higher than most on Houston, where I, I have him as like a mid to late lotto guy still. I think I have him like right okay. around 10. Um, I, I think it's more so just being high on Diabate and just that energy and physicality that he plays with on every possession, I, I think is a lot of fun. And just w- with Houston, my my only concern with him is kind of that lack of athleticism and how that's really going to affect him as a scorer in the NBA because I I don't, I we're, we're seeing it now that he can't really create space for his own shot. And all of his at rim stuff is coming from attacking closeouts or being run off DHOs and defenders tracing him over because they're because of the threat of his shot, which really hasn't surfaced yet. I think it does long-term, but no, I'm still really high on Houston long-term. Um, but I think it's more so me just liking Diabate a lot. Got it. And then what do you see his NBA role as? Because from what I've seen, he's just very long and he tries very hard. <laughs> and that's not wrong. Um, I, I, I'm not entirely sure. And that's where the shot comes into play. Because if the shot really does turn into something, then I think there is some kind of small ball five potential there, given his defense, his rebounding, his toughness inside where – you're not really going to outmuscle him or outwork him. Um, maybe Montrezl Harrell, if that shot never does come around where he's a smaller dude and he's just constantly outworking everybody. If that's his long-term kind of role, I think that's a really good career for him. I think that also means that Caleb, and that does end up outperforming Caleb Houston, then I think that's more of a, an indictment on what happened to Houston, but for Diabate specifically, I, I think that that toughness, that motor, that interior scoring, um, the the flashes of rim protection, the interior, yeah, the interior scoring, um, I think that gets him a role when the shot comes around. If the shot comes around, then I really think that elevates him into a meaningful role in a rotation. All right, I like it. He's got a cool name. Yeah, it's very, very cool name. Um, and he tries hard. Yeah. <laughs> he, he he does try very hard. That's um, <laughs> all I so know. It, it's by far the hottest take. Uh, Diabate may not even be a one and done this year. It'll be really interesting come kind of combine time to see the type of feedback he gets. Uh, but l- let's wrap up with what what is your final f- final hot take? This is a fun one because I feel like everyone dislikes this one. <laughs> I think that Jabari Smith Jr. is going to go no higher than number four in the NBA draft, despite him being considered, I think cons- I think it's fair to say consensus top three is what most people feel. A lot of people have number one. Uh, I think he goes no higher than four. Wow. Um, so, so why do you hate Jabari Smith? I okay, so I <laughs> just to clarify, if I'm saying the guy's going to be the fifth or fourth pick in the draft, you hate him. I don't hate him. I actually quite like him. I think he does a lot of really cool things. I will say, I do kind of. I 
it's getting better, but there was a point where I kind of disliked the way that people talked about him. And it kind of felt like I, I kind of got the impression that maybe people weren't really paying a ton of attention when watching him play um, just because I would read reports and people would say things like elite vertical athleticism. And then I would look at him play basically exclusively below the rim. And I, I, I didn't really see elite vertical athleticism. And so here's my thing, right? Is his movement patterns are weird. And I've addressed this before, but just to like his lower body, like he's super light on his feet and defensively, like his defensive footwork is sensational. At the same time, if you're going to take a guy top three, you want offensive upside. And if you, if you're looking at him for a mainly defensive prospect, I think you want like rim protection. And I don't really think he's much of a rim protector because he's not a particularly good vertical athlete. And that kind of tracks so far. He's not really blocking very many shots for someone who's 6'10". Um, so I don't really think he's much of a rim protector, but I do think he's a really good wing stopper defensively. And I think he does good things at the point of attack. Um, offensively, that's kind of more where my qualms come in. So number one, his I have I have big concerns about his finishing. He's, he's a great shooter, like does great things as a shooter that no one's going to deny that. However, I do have concerns that he can kind of maybe get marginalized a bit and that the, the avenues to success for an NBA forward that isn't super bursty because like you can argue about Jabari's athleticism all day. I don't, I don't think it's unfair to say he's not very bursty. I don't think anyone thinks he's really mm-hmm. an explosive athlete. Um, so, I mean, he's not going to out athlete NBA players for the most part. And his, finishing scares me because if you can't get those easy points around the basket that can oftentimes really cap your offensive ceiling and i have concerns because his finishing in the half court uh, on non post ups is like 56% right now which for someone of his size is pretty bad and he doesn't get to the rim a lot and i have a concern where every single time that he's faced with an opportunity to finish and it's kind of like a he can do whatever he wants he will always finish with his left hand and when he finishes with his right there's a lot of very ugly misses like that are not even remotely close like he's just kind of tossing it up for a prayer and whenever he goes up to finish he brings it up and has the ball with two hands for as long as possible um and i think when you're playing when you're finishing below the rim and you're bringing it up with two hands until the last seconds a little weird to me and then also, you see with Darius Baisley, where he's a better handler with his dominant hand, but then wants to finish with his offhand, and it completely caps his finishing, just because he's always trying to switch hands at the rim, and it just he doesn't have the time to do it, and it makes everything so awkward, and it limits the amount of finishes he can make. And I'm slightly nervous that Jabari has the same thing going on. Um, and then at the same time, like his upper body is really stiff, like his shoulders are very very stiff and when he's driving to the basket like he a he wants to handle with his offhand which is not his best hand for handling because he wants to go with his left because he wants to finish with his left which is understandable and also i think um draft pal made a really good point because we've talked about jabari ad nauseum at this point between the two of us um and he was talking about Franz Wagner where it wasn't like necessarily his offensive upside was shown and he's not a great athlete and he doesn't have a super long wingspan per se compared to his height. Right. And uh, you know, and then all of a sudden you come into the NBA and he's doing all these things and everyone's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. 
and watching how he kind of gets downhill and stuff, there's a lot of like ball security stuff where it requires him to be super fluid and precise with his upper body movements when he's handling the ball and with his kind of, um, you know, ball security and Jabari just cannot do that. And I do think the upper body flexibility is something that's going to improve with time, but I think that it's going to be a while until he gets to the point where it's like serviceable. Okay. So I, I, I love this take not necessarily because I agree with it uh, because I, I, I love Jabari unlike you who hates him um, as yes. we covered, uh, <laughs> but so a lot there um, regarding, I think the biggest selling point on Jabari is that kind of defensive versatility at that size and his perimeter footwork is the best. I, I think the best in the country right now. And at yeah. 6'10", 225, that's just an obscene combination. Uh, shameless plug, go check out my YouTube and written breakdown on Jabari's uh, fo- defensive footwork over on No, no Ceilings. Uh, sh- shameless plug over. Um, I'm really glad that you brought up the explosiveness part because that is something that I've had under kind of the, the weaknesses category for him for pretty much the entire season but everyone keeps labeling him as this explosive athlete. And I think we really only see that when he's out in transition and there's no one there and he has this free runway to, and when you're six ten, I think you look a lot more explosive than you necessarily are. The offensive selling point on Jabari is that he's in the 78th percentile on catch and shoot jumpers per synergy, 78th percentile shooting off the dribble hundredth percentile shooting off the catch when he's unguarded um, with 2.455 points per possession, which is just an obscene number. Um, I like his shot. I don't like how he gets to his shot. I, I think the ball handling is really limited and really clunky. Um, he just doesn't look comfortable with it. I don't think he has really any wiggle um, or creativity or counters to his, um, you know, ball handling. And, you know, there's like in the LSU game last night, we saw him try and get out in transition and he's just tripping over the ball. Um, yeah. So saying that he won't go fourth, I think is, pretty polarizing given where most people where I've seen most people have him, including a bunch of people over at no ceilings who have bumped him up to one. Um, I still have him in that two to three range. So if he's not going three or two or one for you, who, and going forth, who is jumping him in that third spot? Yes. I think the obvious ones are Chet and Paolo, right? Um, So those two, I I think are probably above him. So, for me right now, I think there's a couple options first. Like I think if a team is picking top three, that there are a couple different avenues they can go where they're going to see more offensive upside in a guy like Jaden Ivy as a guard, who's super explosive and is having a bunch of impact. And I think one of the big things with Jabari is that he's having so much impact on the games. And I think Jaden kind of matches that. And then, player that i love the player that i would take would be uh, adrian griffin jr aj griffin from duke um so part of that for me is baking in like i'm projecting that he's going to continue to play 20 minutes per game ish a little over for the rest of the season which he's done for the past three games including a game against virginia tech who is like uh, ken palm top 30 team 
So they're pretty strong opponents and he did really well. So for me, I look at the kind of, I look at, I look at Jabari and basically here's kind of a, a more succinct way to explain my thoughts. Right. And this is kind of an oversimplification, but I think it kind of helps showing my perspective. Right. I think that Jabari is sensational as a shooter on the catch. Like, and I think that Jabari is has phenomenal defensive footwork and in general, just a good on ball defender. And I think that Jabari has very good um, hand speed and like ball tracking that help him get a lot of steals. Right. And I think outside of that, he's kind of bad at most basketball things. Like he's not a very good finisher. He's not a very good ball handler. His offensive footwork needs a lot of work. He's a pretty good defensive rebounder. He's not really much of a rim protector. I don't think his off-ball defense is particularly great, although I think he's a pretty good communicator, but I think he also kind of ball watches a lot. Um, I think his his quote-unquote bag of moves, he oftentimes will get the ball and just jab step three times, hoping the opposing defender will do something, and they kind of just stand planting. He's like, all right, I'm just going to shoot over you anyways. Yeah, um, so it's and more of he, like a ziplock bag than, a, than like a full. Yeah, yeah, and he's got, a, he's got a rip through that doesn't really work very well for him, but he tries that one. Um, that's like his, his one thing that's not his jab. I just think – I think one thing is like a lot of the Jabari context is like, oh, well, he's young, so he has more time. And that's totally fair, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think there's like – I think maybe even like the first year – if a team gets him is going to be working on that upper body fluidity and just going through movement training to get him less stiff with the upper body. And then I think once you get past that, I think there's the defense or the offensive footwork that needs a lot of work. Right. And then I think the finishing needs a lot of work. And then I think the handling needs a lot of work. And I feel like Jabari kind of is being brought up on this. Oh, he's got this high floor and he's really young. Right. And I think that there's a lot of stuff that he needs to, get better at. And he kind of has these three elite skills that just like hold his entire case as a basketball player up. Cause like if Jabari, like obviously it's like, Oh, if he couldn't shoot, if he couldn't shoot, he would legitimately be an awful offensive player. Just terrible. Right. It's like he can shoot. And then there's like not really much else he does offensively. And at the same time, I also think he's kind of, you know, I think he's smart, right? There's this kind of, you know, feel for the game. I think that feel for the game for me can kind of break down into two different sects, right? There's intuitive players who can kind of just, you throw a decision at them and they can make a pretty smart choice, right? Just kind of like on the fly decision makers. And then there's these kind of academy brain players that like, they are so, you know, well taught and trained that they like see a situation and they've been trained to like deal with that situation and they just figure it out. They're like, they're like, Oh yeah, I do this in this situation and they execute it and it's fine. I think Jabari is very Academy brain. And I think that that is kind of the side of feel for the game that makes it. So you're a little bit slower to develop just because your learning isn't like just being super creative and coming up with all these different situations. And then, you know, you test it out and eventually you kind of figure out what works and you can use that, what you've learned to like build off on future intuitive decisions right i think his is like he needs to be told literally what to do in every single situation and he's really good at remembering it and identifying when it's that situation and executing it right so i think yes he's young but also i think the academy brain thing kind of leads to a little bit slower development like a little bit slower progression and i also think like there's just so much that needs to be fixed like 
you can't really finish that well until you can handle that well and until you have the footwork to kind of get there, right? So the finishing, you can't really work on getting better at that as much until you have the handle and the footwork to do so and the fluidity to do so, right? So yes, he's really young and it's like, oh, well, he's young. He'll figure out the finishing in time, but he has to do all of this stuff before he can even get to finishing because there's so many underlying skill issues. And that's kind of my thing with Jabari. Well, Chip, we end every podcast and every episode with what is the best thing in the basketball world you've seen recently? It doesn't have to be draft specific. It can be uh, it can be a player, a prospect, a single performance, a streak. What in the basketball world has been the best thing you've seen recently? Well, other than yourself, of course, Tyler. No, um, I was a big fan of Virginia Tech versus Duke and the way that A.J. Griffin played. I think that he was nothing short of sensational. I think the when you look at this draft class, the top of the class kind of gets labeled as this. There's not a there's not really like a superstar, and it's not a super great class. I think that he profiles as like an optimal one B, like a just a perfect one B, and he's just really really like you know, a lot of NBA players are good at playing without the ball basically because they have to just by nature of playing around stars. I think that AJ Griffin, while he has enough stuff to potentially be, you know, maybe a lower end star, he is one of the few players that is truly great at playing without the ball. And he just has a lot of consistent impact in the game. And I think, you know, I'm just really excited to see what he gets to do for the rest of the season because his play like off ball is just sensational to me. And it's not something that you see very often. He he is definitely the guy that I think I'm most excited to really dive into now that he's starting to get more minutes in like an actual role sure. against better competition. That's not just these barely D one schools and programs, but trip, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate the time. I love the insights. Please tell the people where they can find you, what to keep an eye out for, how they can support you. Yeah. So um, I'm on, I'm on Twitter and YouTube. I don't really have much of a life. So I'm on Twitter a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm at chip J NBA. If you tweet at me, you can probably reach me at any point. And I'll usually reply to most things, even if I think they're really stupid. Um, so, you know, I, you can reach me there. I make YouTube videos at ChipJNBA on YouTube as well, um, where I, I've mainly been talking about prospects. I'm thinking about doing a video on uh, Patrick Williams, plays for my, my my hometown Chicago Bulls, big fan of his. So look out, be on the lookout for that. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's all Perfect. I got for you. Well- people go support chip he does awesome work once again i'm your host tyler metcalf you can follow me on twitter at tmetcalf11 uh please make sure to subscribe to the no ceilings substack at no ceilings.substack.com where you can find all of our written work and please follow us on twitter at no ceilings nba where you can also find all of our content the substack is completely free and it gets delivered directly to your inbox so you have zero excuse not to subscribe uh please also make sure to check us out on youtube at No Ceilings TV. Uh, we're putting out some really great videos, including my most recent breakdown of Johnny Davis's scoring versatility. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Happy New Year, and until next time, see you.